0: We're back! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. I am Josh, and for today's episode, I am joined by Producer Tux for the first time in a long time. Tux, how the hell have you been lately?
1: It's been so long since uh, I've gotten the chance to hop on a podcast with you or Noah, so this is something I'm looking forward to, hoping the episode is great and that everyone has a good time.
0: I mean, even if the episode's not great, we have some great stuff to talk about. The big news coming out of Texas A&M's sec media days press conference uh, in really classic texas and texas a&m rivalry fashion texas dominates the conversation about texas a&m it appears that texas and oklahoma are both positioning themselves to attempt to make a move to the southeastern conference in the very near future Uh, that that came out basically right as jimbo fisher was getting ready to take the stage at media days for texas a&m so I mean the, the first first question you gotta ask, Tux is exactly how much stock are you putting into those rumors?
1: Well, at first I was a little hesitant, right? How many times have we heard realignment stuff and then Texas is involved or, you know, Oklahoma is involved and it's been it's been a show, right, for the past ten, twelve years. Uh, what makes me believe it this time is the fact that There's all this momentum, right? And it all materialized out of nowhere. Like, we we haven't seen something like that before. Like, usually it was just one leak, and then everyone was like, what what is this person talking about, right? Or maybe it was just pure baseless speculation. Everyone just kind of cast it aside. This time it seems like there's there's an actual uh, momentum to it, like I said earlier. And the reason I say that is that it seems that uh, with all these TV deals coming into an end in like 2025 there there is a now sense of urgency that teams do need to find a home and teams do need to secure um, some revenue streams and stuff.
0: Yeah, and it really, like you said, it, it came out of nowhere and that feels very true to what we've seen out of Chris del Conte since he took over as the athletic director at Texas. Uh, no longer is Texas operating nearly as out in the open, uh, things like the coaching search and, uh, for various sports, as well as this type of move are all things that happen behind the scenes. And it's not until things seem to be nearly imminent that the news really breaks that things are actually happening. So... For me, I think that alone, it just feels very on brand for this current athletic department uh, at the University of Texas for things to just pop up out of nowhere like this. So uh, I was someone who heavily doubted the Urban Meyer rumors uh, there in the later part of 2020, as it was clear that Tom Herman was on his way out. But this one I'm, I'm buying. I I'm totally believing that this is this is a real push from both Oklahoma and Texas.
1: And it seems like Oklahoma more so than Texas, because it seems like, um, you know, Texas has a home wherever it wants, and OU does to a degree as well. But it felt like, okay, um, if Oklahoma wanted to go somewhere, it was going to need to ask Texas to come along, whereas I don't think the opposite has ever been true.
0: Yeah, there's no way that Texas needs Oklahoma to be able to make a move. But it feels... I mean, in a way, it, it feels almost insulting to Texas A&M, which I love, in that A&M like, needed to cut bait. Texas didn't give a shit that A&M was going to leave. Um, just sort of basically said, bye, losers. Whereas with OU, it, it really establishes the level of simultaneously hate and respect that Oklahoma and Texas have for one another to where this move seems to be something that's happening in tandem rather than something that they both can coincidentally happen to decide on they both are making a concerted effort to do this together to both become part of the sec bring that to a 16 team super conference uh so it it, it's it's a really interesting dynamic between how realignment went back in 2011 versus how it appears to be setting up for texas and oklahoma this time around
1: and i think it's a pretty clear message from texas that OU is closer to us than AM ever will be. Now, I would say I agree with you. My favorite part about this is basically watching Texas A&M squirm because they're not usually in a position like this, right? Because they were feeling so good, like, oh, we're off in the SEC. Oh, we just finished fourth or fifth uh, in the final poll, whatever, right? And here comes Texas, and they steal the thunder again from AM during their presser. And my favorite part of the Texas A&M presser, they somehow, you know, have the story leak right before A&M officials are interviewing, right? And then for some reason, their athletic director is one of the people being interviewed. Like, this all seems very strange. But the line that really moved me, or made me laugh, was when A&M said that, you know, it's important to their identity being the only SEC team in Texas, like, that is their identity. That's all they have left right now.
0: Yeah, and you can see the meltdown screenshots on TechSAGs. Shout out! Shout out to uh, Longhorn Frenzy for sharing those on Twitter. Uh, it it's crazy. It's it's the level of panic that actually makes TechSAGs have moments of real clarity about how fucked they are if this move happens. You you look at them talk about recruiting. And I've seen several posts from, from Longhorn Frenzy where they openly admit that that is their entire pitch. Their entire pitch to recruits right now is, we are in the state of Texas and in the SEC. No one else can say that. Now, that completely falls apart. What else do they have to hang their hat on? Hey, last time we won a national title, Hitler invaded Poland. That's There's nothing to differentiate them from the University of Texas and Oklahoma is going to see benefits from that, too, at AM's expense. They, they opened the borders. Basically, they sold their soul to the SEC, opened up the borders to these SEC teams to ravage Texas, especially as national recruiting was really exploding for all of these programs in order to make themselves out to be better than they were. And now Texas and Oklahoma decided, you know what, fuck it. We, we want in on that and we're just going to take your toys away from you.
1: Okay. So how do you think, say that uh, Oklahoma and Texas are a part of the SEC, it happens in 2025 or whatever, how do you think uh, scheduling and stuff plays out? Are there going to be pods? Do you think there's going to be like divisions where there's 2 eight A-team divisions or something?
0: Uh, I, I think it definitely has to end in pods. I think that Structure has been discussed too widely for basically the last 10 years, especially with easy solutions to fix the SEC's current scheduling problems. You have teams that go more than half a decade without playing each other with the way the the SEC's current model is set up uh, with the eight-game conference schedule. I, I think pods are the best way to do it. I think even SEC Network managed to share... A breakdown that would ensure that every single team would play every single every other team in the SEC, all 15 other teams at least once in a four-year period, guaranteeing that anyone who signs up and and commits to an SEC school, if they stay for a full four years, they will get to play every team at least once. I, I think these models are too built out. I think it looks too appealing. There's too much money to be left on the table to to continue having these issues where possibly oklahoma or texas or a and continues to not get to play georgia on a regular basis or florida on a regular basis uh, and i think the pods give a lot of freedom to control exactly who those teams are uh, the sec network version had it where it was a nine nine game conference schedule i believe um, And it was all of the teams in your own conference, or in your own pod, so three games there, plus two teams from the other three pods for your other six games for that, that nine-game conference schedule. Uh, the idea that I was a big fan of was doing the three teams in your pod, the four teams from whatever pod you happen to be paired with that season, um, and then two protected rivalries in the remaining two pods. Uh, I know in the interest of that causing problems, as far as unbalanced schedules, like someone's going to have a rivalry with a team that's constantly dog shit. Like someone has to have Vandy as a protected rival and people are going to be upset when they're the ones who have to have Alabama as their protected rival every year. Um, the other option I thought of, or not that I thought of, but that I saw online was to follow the NFL's uh, model for setting up their schedule where Every team uh, in in the division, whatever finishing order you finished in the division, you play every other team in your conference that finished in that same spot in their division. That would be a good way to see it sort of cycle through, give everyone a chance, and say, hey, you want to play the good teams? You got to be a good team. So I the, the only thing I'm sure of is that I, I don't want an eight-game conference schedule. I want the nine-game conference schedule. I want... To be able to play all of these teams regularly because there are so many good teams, so many fun teams to play with with massive fan bases the Floridas, the Georgias, the Bamas, the Auburns, LSU. Uh, having regular games with Arkansas again, uh, bringing back the, the AM game as much as a lot of people prefer Eternal Scoreboard. I want that game back because rivalries are what makes college football great. But being able to have all of those things have our cake and eat it too effectively uh is way too appealing and it still gives us the freedom to have those games with ohio state with usc with notre dame with michigan the way we have it set up right now with a nine game conference schedule there's no reason to shy away from that especially as the playoff expands to 12 teams instead of just four
1: and i think you brought up a great point there's a lot of great fan bases and teams in the sec um we, you and I have talked about this off the recording, off the pod, that, you know, some years, you know, like kind of like this year, the Texas home slate is kind of weak, right? It just, uh, none of the home games really stick out to you. as like, oh, yeah, man, I'm circling that. I am for sure going to be a DKR. Now, if I mean, even if there's an Auburn or an LSU or a Georgia, you know, something really exciting happening, then everyone's going to have that penciled in. That's going to be like, okay, if both teams are good, you now have a chance at game day. The only current chance that Texas ever gets a game day is, you know, the Red River shootout. That's it. But now there's multiple chances, just like the SEC gets. And, you know, kind of uh, part of me thinks that, you know, uh, Chris Delgani, one of the first things he started doing was scheduling all these SEC teams, except AM <laughs> for the future schedule, Right. And I wonder if talks kind of started then, like, oh, I already have a connection now with Florida. I already have a connection with Georgia. I already have a connection with Auburn and Bama. What can we do in the future? And now, if those all those teams just become regular teams that we're supposed to play now, um, Texas kind of has to throw the schedule up in the air. However, now, Texas doesn't necessarily need... You know the USC's and the Ohio State's. You know another blue blood on the schedule. Now it's like, oh, we already have a great in-conference schedule. Now we can go cherry pick. Here's who we want to play. Here's the fan base we want to reach out to, and see how we can do.
0: Yeah, I mean it'll it'll throw a lot of things into disarray, especially because we've got Alabama. It, that series starts next year, 2022-2023, That's home and home with Alabama. 2024 you have the home and home with with Michigan but you get into 2028 29 30 and 31 you got Georgia and Florida you've got uh, I'm I'm sure Auburn's on the horizon there I don't think if that ever got confirmed but I believe that was a strong rumor that that was something that was in the works but yeah it it would be really interesting if nothing else that would be an extension of the uh, the content that we'd have here from this realignment thing of who the new out-of-conference teams are going to be to replace those guys It might be something where we go from playing Alabama 22-23 and then by 2024, maybe we're in the SEC and facing Alabama is now a regular thing. We got the taste test and now we're we're full members. So yeah, it it just opens up a lot of good things. Uh, Go face a lot of P5 teams that we haven't gotten to face. I know there's a lot of Texas grads that are up in the Pacific Northwest. It'd be awesome to replace one of those teams with an Oregon or a Washington. Get up to Florida or get up to uh, Seattle and Eugene. It'd be cool to play Stanford. Cool to play, I mean, we've already got Arizona State on the schedule. Uh, Go face a Penn State. Go face a Wisconsin. Change it up. Go go see things that we haven't seen, teams that we do not face regularly. Continue to leave that door open. And at the same time, you can still have that G5 game against an in-state team. So whether that's UTEP, whether that's Texas State, whether that's North Texas, those G5 schools, Uh, In the state of Texas is one of your games. A P5 premier out-of-conference opponent. And then anything from a low P5 to a strong G5 school. Yeah, I I, I think the dynamics it adds, and admittedly, selfishly, the value it adds to my season ticket, not even living in the state of Texas, I can sell a lot more games and get a lot closer to paying off my ticket for whichever game I choose to go to. Uh, All of that is nothing but appealing if you're a Texas fan.
1: Yeah, and to kind of round it out here, I think my dream pod or division, um, like it would be amazing if Texas had regular rivalries, of course, with Oklahoma, Arkansas, A and M, because I guess they're gonna want to shove it in, and then LSU, and then whoever else. Like that, that is a great schedule every year, year in year out. You're gonna see quality teams, you're gonna see quality matchups, and it's gonna be fun.
0: Yeah, I, I would absolutely want to be in sort of a Southwest Conference Plus pod. a and Arkansas, Oklahoma for sure. Protect a rivalry with LSU. Protect a rivalry. I'd like to see us start one with Tennessee. I know a lot of people would get really annoyed real quick with the constant arguments about who the real UT is every single year. But all, all I'm thinking is like a Davy Crockett type of trophy that seems perfect for a Tennessee series. And then... Whether that's Florida, whether that's Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, whoever would be in that Far East pod, uh, any any of those teams I think would be a, an interesting wrinkle to add to our schedule. So, yeah, I, I really hope to see protected rivalries more than anything, especially because I'm still bummed out that we had to cancel that 2020 game uh, for the other half of the home and home with LSU. So I, I'd love to see LSU back on our schedule really soon because I had a ton of fun back in 2019 for that one.
1: Yeah, of course. That was maybe one of the most fun games we've been to. Um, So, and I think that's where fans can get really excited is that the schedule looks awesome again. You know, we don't have to, if we never have to go to Lubbock again, I'm fine with that. I am fine. (laughs) Totally. Never, never
0: have to go to Lubbock. Never have to go to Manhattan, Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas, Ames, Iowa, Stillwater, Oklahoma, fucking Waco, All done. Don't have to see those shitholes ever again.
1: Well, let's be honest. Some SEC schools are in shitholes too, but yeah. But
0: not our shitholes. New (laughs) shitholes, okay?
1: (laughs) Right. Shitholes we don't know are shitty yet.
0: And at least Vanderbilt, we can say we can go to Nashville. That's the only other fucking vacation destination or like destination city that we would have played at interconference since... I don't know maybe when we were in the southwest conference and regularly facing houston and rice that's that's as close as it gets and even houston is not nashville nashville is a much more entertaining city so I, I i think there's a lot of appeal there even yeah you're gonna go play the bottom of the barrel sec team but fuck free trip to nashville or a good excuse for one anyway
1: yeah and you know there's also plenty of other schools who are you know, close to big towns. Like uh, Athens is pretty close to Atlanta or something. Um, I'm sure there's,
0: you know... Baton I mean, Rouge and yeah, exactly. New Orleans.
1: So, I mean, there's there's a lot of options that it just completely opens up now. And so it seems like uh, you and I are both on the same page. That so this could get really exciting really quickly for Texas.
0: Oh, yeah. There, I mean, I... Really, outside of people being scared of the, the level of competition, or at least the perceived level of competition that's in the SEC, I see no obvious downsides for Texas. The the money's there. As a fan, the excitement is there. Just the slate of teams that you get to see is fun. Whether it's more competitive or more difficult, whatever, doesn't matter. But just like the the... Almost like the sex appeal of the games is so much higher than it is when you're regularly facing... Texas Tech, Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. It's it's more storied programs. Like, sure, Alabama's the only blue blood in the SEC right now, but the SEC's strength is in how many of that next-tier teams they have with LSU, with Auburn, Georgia, Florida. You have so much of that, whereas the Big 12 has Texas and Oklahoma and a bunch of also-rans historically. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's there's there's just so much more interest in it especially even when those bottom of the barrel sec teams like um arkansas have some history with texas so there's there's a lot to love about getting to play that sec schedule just as a fan wanting entertaining teams to play wanting interesting games uh those are there's nothing to dislike about the sec move
1: Yeah, I'm just waiting for Chip Brown to say, oh, Texas is definitely not going. So then I can say, oh, yeah, it's happening. But other than that, I feel like it's, I guess, more of a sure thing than I've seen from Texas in a while. So I guess, I mean, even hedging, it feels like, you know, I got to say like 90% or more that this is happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I got to pause real quick here, Tux. I am so sorry We've been talking about realignment for like the last twenty minutes right now. And to this point I've been I've been waiting to do this. I meant to crack this a while ago. It's it's realignment talk. We have to drink a little bit. So that that that's me cracking a beer. All right, all right. Now we now we can keep it going. I'm sorry. Alright, I'm sorry. Get find that momentum. Where were we?
1: Uh, well, you gotta share what you're drinking. Like what what is it? Is it good?
0: So so this one, uh, is a, uh, another sour, uh, that if I continue doing this sort of like half-assed beer moment, uh, in every podcast, um, you'll find there's a pattern. I do like sours. Uh, today I'm drinking, uh, Aerovice Tart Ale from Aeroplanes Brewing Company out of Wichita, Kansas. Um, for those of you who know me semi-well, I lived out in Wichita for a couple years, Uh, I would say this was probably my favorite brewery and probably my favorite beer that I found while I was out in Wichita. Um, And this brewery did close down not long before I left. So this possibly is the last Aeroplanes Aerovice Tart Ale on the entire planet. And I I saved it accidentally, but I did save it for, for this episode. So... I do love Sours. I do love Sours. So, I, I guess the next big question that you have to ask when it comes to the SEC is if Texas, if Oklahoma make this move, there's that the perception that the SEC is a much more difficult conference. So, what are the fair expectations for Texas, especially with hopefully still with Steve Sarkeesian by the time this move rolls around? What are the expectations those first three years? Do we come in throwing haymakers like A&M did in 2012, win a Heisman in our first season, uh, go 10-2, and two, blow out a team in the Cotton Bowl, or are, are the expectations lower? Is eight games accept, acceptable, or do we need to be immediately targeting winning 10 games in what's supposedly the toughest conference in football?
1: Well, I think with the addition of Texas and OU, it would definitely be the toughest and most stacked conference in college football. But still, you still have your Mississippi teams, A&M, Arkansas, that I imagine Texas will regularly play or have the chance to play. So the bar should still be 10 wins. You know, If Steve Sarkeesian goes in there and he can't make a bowl, we got problems. But if he's able to go in there have a good couple years or two, three years in the Big 12, right? And then if he's able to carry that forward into the SEC, have a big year, it, that can go really far into keeping Steve employed here.
0: Yep, absolutely. I, Especially as a coach who, that one of the big selling points for Steve Sarkeesian is his familiarity with the SEC. And you have to wonder how much he knew during the hiring process about texas trying to get back there but having spent a few years in tuscaloosa under nick saban he's going to be intimately familiar with how the game is played in the sec uh what the expectations are in the sec what the environments of the sec are like so i i think it's fair to expect big things assuming he's able to make that stuff translate in the first couple years here in austin
1: speaking of that now Steve's going to get his shot next year and the year after that, but one of the expectations that I think is perfectly fair is that Texas is one of the only schools that can say they have as many as or more resources in Alabama. Sark needs to be one of the first coaches, one of the first Saban assistants to beat Saban. That seems to be a big curse. None of the Saban assistants have ever beaten him. Sark needs to be, uh, I mean, if he does it before Jimbo, I think that's going to be a huge feather in Sark's cap.
0: Yeah, and that's going to chap a ton of asses down in College Station. They're, they're going to get obliterated again this year because they have a brand-new quarterback who's going to be facing Big Bad Alabama. Um, I believe in Tuscaloosa. Weren't they in in College Station last season?
1: I You know, I can't remember, but... The game, the game A&M a
0: 2020 season, completely forgettable, confirmed. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, that that's going to be huge. Like, that is one of the huge selling points for, for Jimbo and for the AM fan bases. Oh, yeah, he's he's been the closest to beating Saban of all of the assistants who've ever played in. Like, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Jimbo. And it would be fucking hilarious if Sark in the next two years, uh, whether it was 2022, 2023, or first couple years in the SEC, manages to be the one to, to beat Saban.
1: For sure. And that's going to be one way that you get the momentum going before you ever enter the SEC because Alabama has ruled the SEC worse than you know any other team has ruled the conference the past 10, 15 years. You know, that that is that is a statement win that announces to everyone that you can hang and that you can do well, actually.
0: Yeah, and, and one would hope that well, it's easy to forget that Oklahoma, uh, in the last ten years, has beaten Alabama in a big game, even though they weren't motivated because it wasn't the national title or whatever the fuck excuse the SEC wants to use. But I, I think people would be pleasantly surprised at how much, how much smaller the gap is than they realize um, between the Big Twelve and the SEC, even at the top. So I, I think Oklahoma and Texas would both acquit themselves pretty well in those early years in the SEC.
1: All right, so should we transition into a little bit of talk about the 2021 Texas season rather than the 2024 and 25?
0: I mean, I guess we're only six weeks away from 2021, so that does seem a little bit closer than an a, uh, SEC schedule. So it's probably worth talking a little bit about 2021
1: just just a little bit right just to round out the show
0: yeah and i think for this we'll we'll sort of look at it not from a super detailed point of view i'm sure we'll get into that as we get into fall practice and have the season even closer to being completely upon us here um but let's go over this um sort of like just a wish list like sort of maybe I, i think each of us will do three things that we think or that, that we would put on our wish list. Not necessarily things that are hard to find. Like, we're not going to say, like, oh, uh, Casey Thompson throws for 3,500 yards and 35 touchdowns. We're not going to put actual numbers on it. It's just the general idea. Things that we want to see throughout the year that we think are going to result in good things for Texas. We're not going to quantify what those good things are. But uh, three things for each of us that we think... Or that that we wish hope in this season, or wish ha- happen this season for Texas. So I'll let you go first, Tex. What like what is your first wish? The the main thing that you have in your heart about this 2021 Texas football season.
1: Okay, well we've been talking about this mythical thing for years and years now. The um,
0: bar that I've always
1: set for Texas being back is: can they win every game in the state of Texas? That means winning your home games, beating the other Texas teams, and then beating Oklahoma and Dallas. That to me is like okay, everything went well. Maybe you didn't uh, become a national title contender, but it was a pretty good season. So, uh, I, I think that would be the thing I want to see happen the most, and that would um, let me know that you know Sark knows what he's doing. He's here for the long term.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair goal to set is is to win those those games i don't i don't remember exactly how many games we have in the state of texas but that alone probably gets us to six seven wins and then you have weak games against kansas against kansas state um well not kansas state or i guess kansas i can't fucking remember where we played last time but um yeah that that i think that's a good first wish my my primary wish that I'm hoping for is for Sark to really prove that him being an offensive mastermind is actually different than the last offensive mastermind that we hired in Tom Herman. And that's to see the offense not have complete disappearing acts. Under Tom Herman, too many times did we watch the offense not just disappear for a drive, like three and outs are going to happen, doesn't matter how good your offense is, three and outs will happen. But to go entire quarters entire halves not doing more than putting up three to three to seven points only scoring on one drive in an entire half i don't want to see any of that i i want to see sark's offense move the ball regularly maybe not score at will but at least just not be invisible for good like large chunks of the game
1: yeah my next point is something uh, similar to that um I just want to see good, consistent offensive line play, because Kyle Flood is the best offensive line coach. When you look at it, that we've had in I don't know how long, he needs to to make that effect known immediately. That when you come to Texas, you're going to see, you know, excellent or at least good offensive line play that's going to be consistent and not going to disappear in big games.
0: Yeah, that I mean, that alone would be a massive step forward from. From what we've seen, even just over the last five years, never mind the last ten years, or even all the way back to to Vince, really. Um the next one, I and I think this wouldn't be the first time that someone said it, not exactly an original thought here. Um, and I think no and I talked about it with Steven and Tran from Fanatic Perspective. But keep Bijan healthy. Uh just Him just staying healthy is going to be the biggest thing about Texas's success this year. I don't think there's any doubt at this point that Bijan was just a flash in the pan there towards the end of the year. I think everyone realizes he is the real deal. It's just a matter of keeping him on the field, and that's going to help. My my first point about the, the offense disappearing, if Bijan is on the field, it's hard to keep this offense from moving reasonably well. Throughout an entire game.
1: Okay, let me ask you one thing. Who do you think is more important to their half of football? Bijan or DeMarvion?
0: Hmm. I mean, I guess that interior linebacker depth is not something I have a ton of confidence in right now. However, Whereas Bijan has Roshan Johnson, who I trust. Maybe he's not as explosive as Bijan, but he's trustworthy and reliable. Uh, Kylan Robinson seems like he can be a home run hitter threat. I feel like we have good depth behind Bijan Robinson. But I feel like the step down in ability is larger between Bijan and Roshan than it is between DeMarvion and the guy behind him. We're, We're pretty thin at linebacker, but I feel like that immediate step down um would hurt more with Bijan. I think being able to have a guy who can be both a workhorse and also pretty damn close to a full full blown home run hitter in Bijan Robinson, I think that's more important for breaking in a new quarterback than Overshone's presence is to making Pete Kwiatkowski's defense work.
1: Yeah, I'd love to agree. But I, I don't think the gap is that big, you know? Like, I don't think the gap between Bijan and then some combination of Robinson and Rojo, um, you know, is, is that big as the gap between Overshone and some of the other linebackers. However, between the two, yes, Bijan is vastly better. He is the elite player. He is the alpha. He has to be great. But that linebacker depth, that's the only thing that gets me. Um... So kind of similar to that point that I was making, I, I want to see another star emerge on defense and preferably in the secondary. It's been way too long since we've had elite players in the in the DB unit.
0: Yeah, and it seems like the program social media this year has definitely been hyping up Deshaun Jameson pretty hard, both uh, for his special teams play as well as, his natural position as a defensive back um towards the end of last year he had a pretty good streak of not having a touchdown allowed and i, I think that's the team trying to hype him up and build him up to be that next sort of elite db to come out of texas because he's got a lot of physical tools uh, you just want to see him put it together especially in terms of tackling um to, to really establish himself as, as a premier defender. That's not just known in the big 12, um, but make him more of a household name. So uh, I, I, I would definitely hope for the same thing. Uh, and I'm also going to keep it on that side of the ball for my third wish. Uh, my third wish is just going to be, please God find a way to have a pass rush as good as Joseph Osai was last year. We had no other pass rush beside him. And as good as Osai was, we often had no pass rush, even when we did have him on the field. We had a horribly low n- number of sacks, and he was by far the biggest producer um, on on last year's defense. So I'm hoping Pete Kwiatkowski, uh, with his defensive scheme, with guys like Ray Thornton, uh, with Ovia Gofu, um, and... The, the other transfer players that we've brought in behind them, I hope that we are able to find at least a couple guys who can consistently get to the uh, passer. And I think that comes in addition to having a guy like Alfred Collins absolutely mauling the interior of the offensive line.
1: That's what I was going to bring up. If Collins take that next step, as we uh, hope that he uh, will, that will go a long way towards the DBs looking good.
0: Yeah, that I mean, nothing helps a DB more than good pass rush, so it would be great to see those things work in tandem. All right, so the last thing we want to talk about is something that basically happened right before we started recording. Uh, we spent a good bit of time this evening trying to find the old video from 2012 that Texas A&M put together of them sort of cheering for the fact that they were in the SEC by participating, let's call it that, in every single one of the SEC team's cheers. You have um, someone doing the gator chomp. You have a girl woofing at the camera like a Georgia fan. Uh, You have someone ringing the cowbell like they're uh, for Mississippi State. We found that video. Texas A&M spent... A ton of time and energy clearly trying to purge the internet of this video. It is hard to find. We found someone who had it downloaded. Uh, They were a Sooner, but I, I believe they proved tonight that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And boy, did they hook us up. The Welcome to the SEC Family video that they put together is one of the worst things that has ever been created for the internet. Probably and arguably the most embarrassing thing texas a&m has ever done and that is no small feat given the legacy of texas a&m uh we found that it is on our twitter right now you need to check it out uh we have it saved in various locations i've shared the link with a ton of people to make sure that this thing is full-on streisand effect we're making sure that it does not disappear off the face of the internet ever again but man i forgot how bad that was
1: Yeah, exactly. I had honestly purged how cringy it was from my memory. But finding that again, it's like, uh, it reminds me that, oh my god, this is is A&M at their core.
0: Yeah, and it's not even, like, it's so bad, you think it has to be a parody. It has to be some, like, little student group, someone making a home video. No, this was officially produced by Texas A and M University, actual A and M money, public money, went to funding this horrifying work of like disaster art. It is one of the most impressively terrible things that exists on the internet, and that's something the internet really specializes in. So, I mean, it is phenomenally awful. So you you have to check it out uh, at the FSS podcast. Uh, Got it on Twitter. We've been posting it all over Reddit. Kyle Umlong has been sharing it. Will Baser's been sharing it. It's it's, it's blowing up. Like, make it viral. Make it trend. Make sure everyone is reminded of how fucking weird Texas A&M is. And really pressure them into revising it as soon as OU and Texas rejoin the conference.
1: Oh, my goodness. I I hope... I mean, okay, it's not possible for any other team to make something as cringy, but if Oklahoma made something similar, that'd give us enough memes for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's gifts in here. Like, I'm pretty sure this video was made before GIFs were really as beloved as they are now. I'm hoping that this gets gift to hell. Uh, I know people have a um, Steve Sarkeesian face swapping bot. I hope that they're going to turn this whole damn thing into a into Steve Sarkeesian doing it because that would be hilarious. There's so much potential in this video and it feels like nine years ago, we as a human race did not really get the opportunity to truly appreciate what we had here. So I'm glad uh, that we were able to get some help pulling that back up. Um, Shout out to the Sooners who helped me out. Shout out to Kyle Umlong for directing me to those guys. Um, because yeah, it, it, it can't be for nothing. It can't go down and be forgotten that the internet never forgets. And this came dangerously close to being forgotten. So I'm glad it's back out in the wild. So, um, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm so happy that it's back out there. I can't wait to see what people do with this just awful content.
1: Yeah. Have fun with it, folks.
0: But with that, uh, we have reached the end of another episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, We had a lot of fun recording this one. It was great to have Tux back on the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast. Uh, With all this realignment news, you can bet that we as content creators have to beat this dead horse as long as we possibly can. So maybe for the next several weeks, whether it's in the form of full episodes like this or another rant cast like I did last week... We will be all over any news as this stuff develops. So make sure you follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at, at the FSS podcast. Make sure you follow Hornscast on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. Uh, make sure you also leave us a voicemail. This is uh, a fun time to be a Texas fan. If nothing else, it's going to get us through these last six weeks of offseason uh, real fast. So make sure you leave us a voicemail. Give us your hot take about possibly joining the sec do you want us go want to see texas go to the sec what are you worried about with the sec what aren't you worried about with the sec how badly do we beat a in their first game uh as as our conference mates again so 512-677-4578 make sure to leave that voicemail we will not pick up the phone trust me I have as much anxiety as you do. I am not going to answer the phone. I, I, I just want to put your voice on our podcast and let us react to it. Just, just let us do that. Everything will be good. But, yeah, let us know on your thoughts uh, about the SEC rumors. Um, otherwise, we'll be back next week uh, to talk about those new developments, like I was saying. Otherwise, only six weeks away, as I said before. Texas kicks off against Louisiana DKR. I'll be there. I'm still trying to talk Tux into being there. Uh, But we hope to see everyone at DKR, hopefully at the Longhorn Nation subreddit tailgate. That's where we'll probably be hanging out, or I'll be hanging out. Again, hopefully Tux will be there. Uh, Hopefully Noah will be there. But we'll be hanging out. We'll be having a good time. So hopefully we see everyone out there. I will be passing out hella stickers. So if you swing by, if you find us, uh, come get yourself a a Fire Steve Sarkeesian sticker, as well as the uh, subreddit tailgate stickers. But until our next episode... Welcome. Welcome.